Good day, and thanks for joining us for our Crop Outlook update. I'm Jim Minter, Director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And joining me today are my colleagues, Dr. Michael Langemeyer, who's the Associate Director of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and a Professor of Ag Economics, and Nathan Thompson, who's an Associate Professor of Ag Economics here at Purdue. Well, there's a lot of information to talk about, and of course, this is following USDA's relief, release of the World Ag Supply Demand Estimates, and let's just kind of review some of the highlights that were on the report last week. Um, first of all, no changes to the corn balance sheet for the 2021-2022 marketing year. Uh, that leaves corn ending stocks estimated for this year at about 1.44 billion bushels. Um, May is the first month, however, that USDA publishes estimates for the 2022 crop balance sheet for corn. And they did make some changes there relative to at least what people were expecting uh, prior to the report's release. So they backed away from the trend line corn yield estimate, which they initially projected back at the World Ag Outlook Forum in February. Uh, earlier, they were at about 181, excuse me, 181 uh, bushels per acre. They are currently using 177 bushels per acre. That's the same as it was last year in, in 2021. And as we'll see later, uh, it's still a record yield. Um, for, that gives us an estimate with, combined with the planting acreage estimate coming out of the planting intentions report of about 14.46 billion bushels. That's down from last year's 15.115. Um, ethanol usage in the 22 marketing year is estimated to be about the same as it is in the 21 marketing year at about 5.375 billion bushels. And they did reduce exports by 100 million bushels, so leaving it at 2.4 billion bushels for the 22 marketing year compared to the 21 marketing year, which is still at 2.5 billion bushels. Um, the projected carryover, the, the net of all of that, uh, winds up being 1.36 billion bushels, down 80 million bushels from the 21-22 crop year. And of course, all those numbers are subject to change as we progress through the course of the marketing year and, and the, you know, certainly uh, as we move through the course of the summer with respect to production. There were also some changes in USDA's corn trade projections in the May WASD estimates. And uh, those are of more interest maybe than normal this year because of the uncertainty created because of the situation in, in Ukraine uh, and also what's going on in South America with respect to weather uh, problems. So uh, changes in the 21-22 trade matrix, small increase in the major exporters ending stocks. Um, they raised Argentina's but reduced Brazil's. And then there's a small increase in the Ukraine carryover estimate compared to the April estimate, which was down uh, to change substantially prior to the estimates that they were publishing before the war got started. Um, if you look at the 2022-2023 crop year uh, trade matrix, uh, world ending stocks expected to increase modestly. Um, smaller ending stocks, as we just indicated in the U.S., but a big rebound expected in Brazil based on a large expected production increase in South America for the 22-23 crop year. And then if you look at Ukraine, they've got production down a little over 50 percent, I think 54 percent compared to 2021. But the export challenge there is still uh, with us, and of course that's going to have a uh, positive impact on those ending stocks. So uh, just a lot of uncertainty as to the availability of those ending stocks. So let's kind of turn our attention and focus on the domestic market. And I know, Michael, you've been looking at this pretty closely. Uh, this is the map of corn planted acreage in, coming off the intentions report uh, released at the end of March. And, you know, through last week, uh, through the 8th of May, and we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon before the report comes out later this afternoon, 
Um, through the 8th, just 22% of corn acreage was planted in the U.S. and some uncertainty as to much with respect to how much was planted last week. At the end of the week, I, I, Thursday, Friday, there was some optimism about those numbers really bumping up quite a bit, but there was a fair amount of rainfall that moved through a good chunk of the Corn Belt over the course of the weekend, so it's really a little up in the air in terms of how much has been planted, right? Yeah, it certainly is, and particularly in, in, in North Dakota, uh, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, the planting was way behind, and so it'll be interesting to see what the report looks like this afternoon, and that, that's one of the primary reasons I think they reduced the, the, the corn yield estimate. Yeah, and it's going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out. Already some discussion taking place of the possibility of seeing some prevented planting acres in that northern part of the Corn Belt, right? Definitely, that that would be the case, and and if that's the case, obviously that's going to uh, you know make the make the ending stocks even tighter. Yeah, so it, it's something the market's going to be paying very close attention to to for the next uh, certainly the next few weeks. So, as Michael mentioned, that slow planting pace is probably what led USDA to back away from that trend yield estimate that they'd published earlier at about 181, or at least suggested they might be using. Uh, that 177 is a new record, just barely, compared to 17 and 18. I think those crops were both between 176 and 177, so pretty close to what we saw in the 17 and 18 crop years, but still a very high yield number relative to history. And a lot of risks there, Michael. It wouldn't take much in terms of pulling that yield back to make a difference on that balance sheet, right? Yeah, really, the risk is on two sides. Obviously, the acreage, if we have more prevent plant, the acreage is going to be lower, but also this yield. I mean, I, I was doing some uh, a trend analysis, and I, I was coming up with a trend of 179. And that's with good weather. Uh, and so certainly, we could see something lower than 177 as, as a fairly strong possibility. Yeah, you wouldn't have to have a disaster if, I mean, for example, no, if you take a bushel or two off. Yeah, or maybe five, you get down to like 172, which isn't, by historical standards, wouldn't be that unusual. And so uh, it, things could tighten up. So a lot of uncertainty there on the yield side. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the production numbers were at 14.46. That's down somewhat compared to last year. Most of that's because of the acreage number, obviously, uh, with the yield basically being held constant with last year's level. So some risks there. It's still a big corn crop by historical standards, although it's not a record yield by any stretch, so a record production by any stretch. Um, if you look at corn ending stocks, USDA's projection for the 21 marketing year is currently sitting at about 9.6%, and their initial projection for the 22 crop year is at 9%. And I have to say that the risk on both of those really is probably with respect to maybe seeing those numbers come down. What do you think, Nathan? Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's definitely, um, you know, an expectation that we could see those numbers go down. And again, that has a big implication uh, in terms of how markets are going to respond to that with, with tighter ending stocks. Yeah, I mean, I, as I look at it, I mean, USDA is essentially assuming, as, as I would too in their place, that we're going to see the acreage planted that was on the planning intentions report. We've got yield at 177, and the risk, I think, is that yield comes in maybe a little lower than yeah. that 177. The risk is that the acreage comes in a little bit smaller, and in both of those cases, that would, it would point to tighter ending stocks than what they've suggested, uh, at least so far. No guarantee it's going to be tighter, but uh, that would be the risk that I'd be thinking about the most. Um, a lot of interest, I think, with respect to what's taken place with respect to corn usage going into ethanol. And, you know, we were talking before the uh, program, uh, a year ago, if you had told us, any of us really, that you could see corn prices flirting with $8 a bushel 
and still see positive margins in the ethanol industry, we would have been skeptical to say the least. And yet that's exactly the situation we're looking at. Those ethanol margins are still positive. They are well below where they were last fall, particularly around that Thanksgiving time frame, but still positive. And if you look at usage so far, it's still up about 9% this crop year versus the prior crop year. And so uh, USDA's estimate looks like it's in the ballpark. Uh, based on usage so far, maybe they're a little bit on the conservative side. I think the grind is maybe running a little bit ahead of their pace, but still not too far off. And you know, looking forward with respect to these very strong oil prices and gasoline prices, uh, I think prospects for ethanol usage continuing pretty strong are pretty good. Uh, if you look at the major exporters ending stocks, the five countries that really predominate in terms of exports, um, you know, they, they're tight, but maybe not as tight as we've seen in some several years. Going back to 2011, 2012 crops, we had those ending stocks and the major exporters down below 4%. USDA is still projecting this year at 4.4 and next year at 4.7%. But those ending stocks could be tighter than they really appear. So first of all, I think a lot of people in the private sector think the USDA estimate for Brazil is probably still too high with respect to production. That would tighten those numbers up. And then, and just to put that context, Brazil accounts for about 14% of those major exporter uh, ending stocks. And Ukraine, of course, accounts for about 15% of estimated ending stocks. So if you think of it from that perspective, both of those could tighten more than, than what we're suggesting here. And that could pull the 21 ending stocks down below 4% without too much trouble and of course tighten things up a little bit more in 22. And again, I, I have it, my inclination is to say that the risk is that the ending stocks are tighter than what USDA is currently projecting. But admittedly, there's a tremendous amount of variability there in terms of estimating what's gonna happen in Ukraine and how many of those bushels are actually gonna be available to the marketplace. It's still very, very unclear how that's gonna shake out. Well, where does that leave us in terms of marketing year averages? USDA is at 590 for corn for the 21 marketing year. And this was their first estimate for the 22 marketing year, and they're at 675. That is slightly below where we were in 2012. But based on the discussion we've had so far, I think the risk is that it could wind up coming in higher than that. Do you agree with that, Michael? Yeah, I think definitely if you look at the fall futures, December futures, for example, it, it's considerably above that. And, and, and so that, that leads me to believe that there, there's quite a bit of upside in this corn market. So Nathan, you've been looking at cash opportunities and storage opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so just kind of start off looking at some uh, forward contract bids for corn at a location here in, in central Indiana. Uh, and so the, the darker gold bar that's running across the top there, that would be the current cash bid that they have in May, June, and July. And then the two other lines that are running below that, so the lighter gold uh, line and, and the gray line there, are what I'm calling a, an implied break-even price. So basically, if you're going to forego the $7.89 bid for delivery now, uh, how much would you actually have to sell that corn for in June or July to cover uh, both your storage costs and your opportunity costs? And those are two different scenarios. One for an on-farm storage scenario where I'm assuming one cent per bushel per month of storage cost as well as a, an opportunity cost uh, at 6% APR. And then a commercial scenario which would have a little higher cost structure, so four cents per bushel per month and then that same 
uh, opportunity cost. And so what you can see in the chart here, which is different than what we've seen uh, in quite a while, is that the current um, cash bids are above my implied break-evens. Meaning, if you were gonna hold on to corn today, uh, and forward contract to sell that and deliver it to a particular elevator at the $8.04 in June, that would be more than what I, based on my assumptions, uh, more than the cost that you would incur to get it there. So that would be a profitable decision. For the, I mean, for the longest time, I, I, more than 12 months, I would say, we have not seen this chart show a positive return to a storage scenario for those uh, forward contract bids. And again, there's lots of reasons why that is. But the one interesting thing here, I think, as it relates to kind of where we're going to go here in the next couple of minutes is that's all an improvement in basis. So that May bid and the June bid are both based off of July futures. And so the improvement from 789 to 804, that 15 cent increase is all uh, an improvement in that basis bid from the May to June delivery. And so, you know, I think that's really interesting. That 15 cents improvement in basis in one month uh, is obviously going to give you a profitable return. Uh, to storing because you don't have that much cost uh, wrapped up uh, in, in a month in storing that grain. And so that kind of leads us down this road of, okay, well, what, what are we seeing going on in terms of uh, basis right now? So uh, on the next slide here, we're looking at uh, corn basis in central Indiana. The blue line uh, is the historical three-year average uh, for that region. Uh, and again, we're looking at uh, July basis going all the way back. So this is not a rolling nearby. This is looking uh, relative to the July 2022 futures from last fall through now to give us a kind of consistent uh, look at one contract. And what you can see is, you know, we had a little bit of a spike in basis uh, for corn uh, back in the beginning of March. Some of that had to do with what was going on in Ukraine and shifting kind of uh, grain flows. But since that has kind of settled down and is, is running, you know, I'd say 10 cents under that historical three-year average, but really following the same pattern that we would expect it to see, just slightly weaker than maybe uh, the historical average. On the next slide, we look at um, uh, corn basis uh, in southwest Indiana. Okay, so maybe a little more indicative of what's going on in the river, maybe uh, some of what's happening in export markets. And you can see quite a bit different story. Uh, we were uh, running quite a bit weaker than that historical average, uh, but have seen basis really strengthen here in just the last couple of weeks uh, and get back near that historical average. Um, and so, you know, again, a lot of that probably being indicative of what's going on uh, in export markets. The other thing that I should point out, we talked about earlier, is, you know, I'm focusing here on the last four to six weeks of the chart. But it's interesting that at this point in the year to take a look back at how much improvement we've had in basis over a longer period of time, right? So we started out 30 cents under back in the fall, and now we have basis that's, you know, 10 cents over. So we're talking about 45 cents or so improvement in basis throughout the year. That's, that's really strong improvements in basis. That would certainly, you know, in a storage hedge scenario result in some profitable returns. Now, if you wouldn't have hedged, you know, with the improvements we've seen in futures would be much larger than that. But again, for someone who, who uh, implemented a strategy like that, something we talk about quite a bit, you know, we'd certainly saw a year with, with uh, good basis improvements. So uh, the other thing that I think is interesting here, so again, I'm, I'm kind of acknowledging this uh, strengthening of, of basis there in Southwest Indiana the last couple of weeks is to compare that, because again, the basis tool is looking at uh, these regional averages. So everybody in Southwest Indiana all gets lumped together. That includes the river market, uh, but also includes inland terminals as well. On the next slide here, 
I've looked at and pulled out just river terminals along the Ohio River in both southern Indiana and southern Illinois. Uh, and so what you can see in this chart, again, is a pretty um, sharp uh, increase in, in basis at those terminals, again, in the last four to six weeks. Again, uh, that is pretty consistent with what I showed you on the chart from uh, the basis tool, but um, just kind of makes the same point of this kind of strengthening of corn basis recently likely driven by export demand given kind of the locations. So, you know, uh, Nathan, when you look at that chart, you can see the bump that took place with respect to export demand mm -hmm. right when the war broke out in Ukraine. That's right. And then that kind of went away. That, that showed up in the other chart as well, right? Yep. And, and now we've climbed back. We're basically looking at basis levels that are very, very close to what we were looking at in late February just as the war broke out, right? That's right, yeah. I mean, we saw that kind of spike up pretty quickly there and then it really dissipated as quickly as it went up. But now we've seen this kind of more steady strengthening, really getting us back in line with where history would say we would be for this time of year for those markets. So yeah, very, very strong basis opportunities right now. So then here we're looking at it from a slightly different angle. This is the Indiana ethanol plant basis, an index, right? So I've just averaged together all of the, um, the ethanol plants here in Indiana, what their basis numbers are. Again, there's a lot going on here, but it really is, is important to, to kind of piece this out because so much has happened in these markets in the last several years. And so just quickly, you know, I've got several different lines there because really the last couple of years have been pretty exceptional in terms of some events that have happened that have impacted basis at those ethanol plants. So 18, 19, um, so in the, the spring of 19, we had planting issues, a lot of preventive planting that caused basis to really run up at those ethanol plants in the Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, trying to secure corn, uh, given that we weren't getting a lot of it planted. Um, in 1920, obviously the spring of 20, you could see the, the red line there, we get this huge drop that had to do with COVID and the impact on uh, gasoline demand. And then the purple line would have been last uh, summer, so the summer of 21, we saw a huge run up uh, in soy, uh, excuse me, corn basis at those ethanol plants. So really, with all of that as context, uh, what I really want to focus on is the blue line that runs through the middle there. That's the average of 15 to 17, which I'm calling the last kind of normal period of time. And then the black line being what's going on recently. And I think the most important thing to pay attention there is, again, similar to what I was showing you with some of those other uh, corn basis charts, basis at ethanol plants has also been strengthening pretty consistently over the last four to six weeks. Um, and again, going back to the comment you made earlier, somewhat surprising given where corn prices are that ethanol plants are continuing to be profitable and continuing to bid strongly for corn even with futures prices um, where they are. Yeah and I think what's going on there uh, Nathan is the fact that as you look at it they've still got a positive margin not nearly as positive as it was last fall right. for a while but they've had to increase their bids to pull the corn in. They right? have yeah. This is that we're kind of in this environment now where uh, users are having to bid up the basis to pull corn out of storage. And that's especially true during the middle of planting season, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, I've seen lots of things recently where, you know, people need crop, but farmers, given what we've been seeing, you know, being behind with planting, when farmers want to be in the field, they want to be in the field. They're not answering the phone to go deliver corn to the ethanol right. plant, right? And right. so certainly it's time of year when we can see some pretty volatile jumps uh, in basis. So then kind of just to close out some of the thoughts here on, on the corn crop and some marketing opportunities, I wanted to shift my attention a little bit to new crop opportunities and, and have folks start thinking about, you know, the, the 2022 crop. 
we talk about frequently the seasonality in new crop corn futures. And so every once in a while, I think it's useful to throw this chart up just to give people a, a visual of, of what we're talking about. So just briefly, so this is an index. So basically I say, okay, what was the corn price in January? I'm gonna set that to 100%. And on average, if the number on the chart is above 100, that would mean that we typically see corn prices increase above the January one price that time of year. For numbers that are below 100, that would mean on average, we typically see corn prices that below the first of January for that time of year. So what you can see is that basically the beginning of April through the end of June is the time where we see uh, the, the most strength in the new crop corn futures market seasonally. Again, that's not a guarantee that that's where the market puts in its high, but on average, right, that's where we most frequently see the market put in higher prices. And so we're kind of right in the middle of that time frame. We've been talking about that for several months, have people looking forward. And so again, you know, there's lots of reasons to think that corn markets can continue to strengthen going forward. But if you're just basing kind of your decisions on uh, kind of historical patterns, you know, there's a lot of reason to think that you'd want to be making some decisions now. And again, on a, on a portion of uh, that new crop, you might want to, you know, price some of that. I certainly wouldn't say all of it by any means, but this is the time of year when we would expect to see some, um, so strengthen those future prices. And so let's just think about why that might be. I mean, the marketplace this time of year is a little bit uncertain about acreage. Right. Obviously uncertain about yield. Yeah. And as long as that's the case, you've got a risk element essentially bid into those prices. Yeah. And then on average, what it says is, as time goes on, most years we get the crop planted. Most years we have yields that are commensurate with what the expectations were earlier in the season. And when that happens, we see that, that risk premium essentially erode exactly. as you head through the course of the season. So what we're really to talk, talking about here is taking advantage of that built-in risk premium that usually occurs. And the chart doesn't tell us whether or not this week is the week or next no. week or the week after. It just yeah. tells us to be very, very alert during this time frame, right? That's right, be paying attention, right? If you're gonna be making some new crop sales, this time of year would on average be a, a good time to be thinking about that. And again, current futures prices are very strong. So that would be a good decision. That doesn't mean they're not gonna go up from here, but it would certainly be a good time of year. Michael, we were talking about this earlier before the program and you were comparing uh, offerings to uh, expected break evens on your budgets here for a corn soybean operation. Yeah, break even right now is at 560 to 570. And you start looking at corn 720, 730, that's gotta be pretty attractive. And I want to emphasize, when you say your break-even, that's including the elevated costs that we're yes. experiencing, right? Yeah, yeah, break-evens obviously have increased about 25, 26% from last year. But even with that incorporated, uh, we're still looking at uh, some very, very profitable uh, corn opportunities. So, you know, the implication is if you haven't started on the 22 crop marketing, uh, this might be a reasonable opportunity. No guarantee this is the high point or anything like that, but from a profitability and a risk management standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, right? That's right. I mean, the, the essence of risk management is all about the idea that we can't predict the future that accurately, right? <laughs> that's so, exactly right. So that's, that's why you want to split things up a little bit and, and maybe t and lock in some positive returns when they present themselves. And that's ex exactly the point that I really wanted to make with, with this slide here, and that is we don't know what the price is going to be, right? So this is the FarmDoc price discovery tool that's available on the website there on the slide. Um, basically what this does is uses current futures prices and volatility to predict the distribution of what 
December 2022 corn futures could be at expiration in December, right? And so you can see kind of on the, the right-hand side there, uh, price at expiration and the probability that we'll be at that price or below. And so again, there's upside potential uh, between now and December, and there is downside potential between now and December. And tying back to what you asked Michael about the, uh, the uh, break-even prices, I tried to kind of just back of the envelope, think through what some numbers might be that would be relevant for comparing to his break-evens. So if you look at um, corn price, say, goes down to $6. Corn futures price goes down to $6. If we take uh, basis uh, in the fall of say 25 cents under, that would be pretty average based on the basis tool and based on some current bids. That puts you at $5.75 cash price, okay? That's pretty close to what Michael mentioned in terms of break-evens. We've got a 20% chance that we would be below that level, right? So one in five chance that we could be below that. Now again, that's four out of five that we're gonna be above that and that's good. But just to give you some context for the how good current prices are relative to, we'd have to see a pretty big decline in prices to start approaching those break-even. So again, you don't wanna price everything today, um, but you certainly wanna take advantage of the opportunities that the market is giving us because they're very favorable, even in light of cost increases. And one of the things that I've, I've noticed by looking at this tool on and off over the years is, is the variability or the difference between the low prices and the high prices really increases as the stocks to use gets tighter. Mm. And so this is a very, very wide set of prices. It's because of the low stocks to use. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good and, point. And it just means that we're increasing risk. And, and risk is on the upside and the downside. We always got to remember that. Yep. Yeah, there's not too many times in the past, if you went over the last, say, 20 or 30 yeah. years, where you'd see a $2 spread from yeah. top to bottom on that chart, right? So, no, that's unusual. Yeah. All right, let's turn uh, our attention to soybeans a little bit. Uh, some key changes to the soybean balance sheet. Um, USDA did increase their export forecast for the 21 crop by 25 million bushels. That's the second month in a row they've done that. The new total is now 2.14 billion bushels. That pushes down the ending stocks estimate by 25 million bushels, and now they're at 235. They were at 260 um, last month. And then, like corn, this is the first month for the 22-23 crop balance sheet. Um, USDA did stick with their basically their trend line yield estimate for soybeans, so unlike corn, they didn't pull the number back uh, relative to what they were talking about back at the Ag Outlook Forum in February. They left it at 51.5 bushels per acre. And they use the acreage from the planning intentions report. And when you do that, you wind up with production estimate of about 4.64 billion bushels for the 22 crop. That's up not quite 5% uh, versus 2021. Um, initial pass through on the balance sheet, they're forecasting a somewhat larger crush, uh, somewhat larger exports, but that still leads to an increase in the projected carryover from the 21 crop year to the 22 crop year. They wind up at 310 million bushels versus 235 as their current estimate for the 21 uh, crop uh, year. If you look at some changes to their world soybean trade matrix, they held Brazil's estimated harvest uh, for the 21-22 crop here this spring uh, at 125 million metric tons. I have to say that's higher than many of the private estimates are out there. There's quite a few private estimates that are smaller than that, some of them a little bit smaller, some of them a lot smaller. Uh, so just some variability there. Uh, they did reduce Argentina's estimates slightly, uh, I think down one and a half million metric tons to 42 million metric tons. 
And then looking ahead to 22-23, a big increase expected in production in Brazil, uh, jumping up to 149 million metric tons, up from that 125 this year. And then Argentina expected to increase to 51 million metric tons uh, versus 42 this year. Uh, and the result would be a fairly large increase in major exporter ending stocks rising to almost 53 million metric tons. That's a rise of about 30% compared to this year's major exporter ending stocks estimate. Um, you know, if you look at the soybean numbers, we were talking about this a little earlier today before the program, that 4.64 uh, estimate for soybean production is a new record for the U.S. And one of the things that really strikes me about this chart, uh, looking at it over time, it wasn't too long ago that basically soybean production in the U.S. was hovering between three and three and a half billion bushels. Now we're kind of in this four to four and a half billion bushel range. Um, the growth in soybean production has not resulted in what I would characterize as burdensome surpluses. Uh, estimates of usage keep going up as well, right? So it, we're having a little bit of a, a tremendous amount of growth in, in uh, soybean usage over time um, and keeping those stocks relatively tight. So despite that expectation for record production, the carryover is going to remain. Uh, USDA's current estimate for the 21 marketing year is just over 5%. There's been some variability in that estimate as we've moved through the course of the marketing year. I remember last summer we were in the ballpark of about 4% for a while. Uh, then we got up close to 9%. Now we're back down to 5%. Um, the initial projection for the 22 marketing year is just a little under 7% at 6.7%. All of those numbers are relatively tight by historical standards. And the thumb rule I continue to use is anytime you're below 10%, um, you're looking at a relatively tight carryover. And, and, and Michael, as you mentioned with corn, that gives us volatility in prices, right? That would, that's definitely the case. And we'll see that here in a bit. Um, if you look at the exporter ending stocks, the major exporters, and just, just for, you know, kind of remind everybody, there's really a small number of major exporters, right? Obviously the U.S. is in there, Brazil, Argentina, uh, and then Paraguay. And Paraguay is a pretty small player relative to everybody else in there. So it's really three countries that dominate this. Those major exporter ending stocks for the 21 market a year are currently projected at 13%. Given the big expectation for production increases, especially in South America in 22, uh, bumping up to 16%, at least based on that first pass. If you look at that 13%, that's tighter than we were back in that 2011-2012 timeframe. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, a lot of uncertainty there with respect to just how tight those stocks are going to be. I think, once again, a lot of folks think that USDA could wind up tightening that ending stocks estimate for the 21 crop. I would not be surprised at the end of this marketing year for that ending stocks number to actually fall below 200 million bushels. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out, but it's a tight situation out there. Even the 16% is a little surprising, given what you said earlier. We've got a major increase in, in acreage in the U.S., major increase in production in, in Brazil, uh, and we still only have 16% uh, stocks to use. And so it just goes back to what you're saying about demand. Yeah. Demand is so strong. Yeah, and of course, one of, the, one of the things that's taking place there is this tremendous increase in demand for soy oil, right? Yes. And a lot of that's about renewable diesel. Um, so USDA is forecasting the highest marketing year average soybean price since the 2012 crop year. They're at 1440 for the 22 crop. 1325 for the 21 crop um, and as you look at it you know I think 
you have to ask the question, should we be making some decisions, right, with respect to soybeans? So let's take a look at that, Nathan. Yeah, so let's start kind of at the beginning here, looking at old crop. So these are forward cash contract bids um, for the next couple of months. Um, so again, the, the dark, bolt, dark gold line running across the bottom there is the current cash bids. Uh, the other two lines, the lighter gold line and the gray line, are my implied break-evens again. So if you're going to forego the 16, 67, uh, delivery in May now, how much would you have to sell soybeans for next month or two months from now uh, to cover your uh, both storage costs and opportunity costs in that on-farm and the commercial storage scenario. So again, on light corn here, those current bids aren't really even covering our storage and opportunity costs. Uh, but again, this is a useful exercise for folks that do have old crop and are looking at forward contract bids or looking at, you know, uh, holding on to, to those soybeans for the next little bit. Um, you know, what would you need to be selling that for based on your cost structure in order to make that a profitable decision? Again, the other thing here, and, and we can talk about this more uh, maybe when I get to the basis slides, but we're at a point in the year where basis just gets kind of crazy. And soybean basis, I'll show in a minute, it's kind of gotten to that point where I think there's going to be a lot of volatility here over the, the remainder of the crop marketing year. But as you're looking forward and making those decisions, if you do have old crop soybeans, uh, this would be kind of a structure to put in place to think through those decisions of, of holding on to that uh, into the summer months. So with that in mind, uh, looking here at uh, soybean basis in central Indiana, you can see again that's been running uh, maybe uh, 25, uh, 25 cents below that historical two-year average, so quite a bit weaker um, these, these last several months. But again, if you look at the whole chart there, We've seen, you know, strengthening from uh, 75 cents under uh, in the fall to today, you know, we're at, uh, what is that, zero. Uh, so, you know, 75 cent increase in, in soybean basis between the fall and now in central Indiana. Um, on the next slide, we'll look at soybean basis in southwest Indiana. Again, uh, starting to maybe uh, reflect a little bit of what might be going on in, in export markets there along the river. So you can see not quite as weak as what we showed in um, uh, central Indiana, uh, probably more in line with that two-year average and maybe strengthening a little bit here, but really just following that historical pattern. And so part of what got me thinking here was, you know, I had read some things, Jim, you had sent me a few things talking about kind of the, the, the pool that was happening between soybean processors and export markets. And so that led me to think a little bit about, okay, well, what, what is going on uh, at these processor markets? Uh, well, excuse me, start here. Let's, let's start with more of the export market. So this is uh, soybean basis at the river terminals, again, uh, in southern Indiana, southern Illinois, along the Ohio River. And so what you can see is it, that wasn't really reflect, reflected in my uh, chart from the crop basis tool. Again, that's a regional average. There's a lot of numbers that go into that. So when I looked at it this way, you can see this pretty... Um, Big jump in soybean basis along those river markets here. Uh, the last four to six weeks, we've seen that up, you know, 30, 35 cents, uh, pretty, pretty big increase. And then again, I wanted to compare that with what was going on uh, at soybean processors. And so I was able to go into the basis tool and just pick out um, the five or six uh, soybean processors in the state of Indiana specifically. So this is, uh, soybean basis at those um, soybean processor locations. And again, you can see uh, this kind of big jump uh, here in the last several weeks in um, soybean basis at those processors. And so what, what we're seeing in this, is this tug of war, right? People are 
maybe busy planning and not wanting to move soybeans, or maybe just old crop beans are just not as easy to come by. And so processors, which have really strong margins right now, are wanting those soybeans, bidding up their basis. Exporters, on the other hand, right, uh, have opportunities to sell those beans. They're bidding up basis. And so we kind of have this tug of war. And I mean, I, I'm expecting soybean basis to, to strengthen quite a bit here through the summer, or at least get volatile, could be go one way or the other. But I think there's a lot of upside potential. And what the market's current, currently telling us is there are people that are looking for beans that can't find them. Yeah, the soybean basis story is different than what you showed for corn. It is. So in corn, you looked at a situation, particularly at the river markets, where we were back to about the levels we were when the war broke out in Ukraine. And right. of course, the war in Ukraine didn't have as big an impact on the soybean market as it did on corn. But if you look at what's taking place at those river terminals now, it's the strongest basis of the year by a wide margin, right? That's right. And that's making this little war, tug of war between the yeah. processors and the export channels, right? That's exactly what it is, right? And so they've, you know, as basis has increased, those processors have had to increase their bids to, to make sure they can get access to those soybeans. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's gonna be very volatile. It is gonna be interesting. So again, uh, shifting focus to just uh, thinking about some new crop opportunities. We, we talk about these seasonal patterns all the time. This is the same setup as what I showed for corn. So again, this is an index. Anything above 100 would mean that on average prices that time of year would be higher than what we see the first week of January. Below 100 prices that time of year would be lower than the first week of January. And so again, the, the timing here is slightly different than that seasonality in corn, uh, corn futures chart where we see the, the highest uh, soybean prices on average a little bit later, maybe end of May into July. Um, and so, you know, we're maybe starting to approach this period where we tend to see uh, seasonally high soybean prices. So again, the point that I, that I wanna make here is just showing the chart, getting people's attention to start thinking about this might be a time of year, this would be a time of year historically, where you'd wanna be thinking about pricing um, some, some new crop soybeans and locking in uh, what would be on average seasonally high prices. So that chart does look different than the corn. So a couple of things uh, strike me about this versus the corn. So on the corn chart, if you decided to do some pricing earlier in the year, that really wasn't too much different than it is in this time of year. Maybe not quite as strong, but still uh, not too far off. Yeah. The soybean chart is much weaker earlier in the season than the corn chart is. And yep. I think that's probably tied, at least historically, based to what's going on in South America. That's exactly right, yeah. Now that South America's become a more important corn producer, that relationship could change maybe going forward. So this is going to be interesting to monitor this going forward, see Definitely. if we start seeing some changes in this. but. Um, in both cases, it, it, both of the charts really speak to the idea that this is a time of year when you should be thinking about doing some pricing of new crop, right? Yep. One of the things I noticed right away when you showed this chart is the seasonality is not as pronounced for soybeans. It's just different markets. I think that I think that low month for corn was like 94%. It's 99% yep. for soybeans, and so it's not as pronounced. Yeah, good point. So you've taken a look at the uh, price discovery tool for futures as well. Yeah, so again, looking at kind of a distribution of that uh, November 2022 soybeans at expiration, uh, you can see quite, quite a range as Michael alluded to earlier. And so um, the, the one kind of number that I wanted to kind of, again, tile back a little bit to, to the break-even prices just to give some context, right? So there's a, about a 20% chance that we could see soybean futures below $13 when we get to expiration in November. 
adjust for say a 30, 35 cents under basis in the fall, that'd put you 1260, 1265. That's probably- Very close to break even. Very close to break even, right? So again, that's just pointing out kind of where current bids are relative to where, you know, we could see downside risk. Again, there's plenty of upside risk here as well. So nobody's saying, you know, go out and sell everything because I think, you know, with tight stocks, uh, potential, you know, um, uh, production problems that could happen. Um, you know, I think that there's lots of, of upside opportunity, but that doesn't mean that you don't want to lock in a certain percentage of uh, the crop at these levels because it's, it's very profitable compared to what we could see. This could be your lowest uh, price of, of the season, right? But, <laughs> and, and you know, if you look at the chart, you guys are focusing on the downside. I look at the upside a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think that chart uh, says there's about a 32% chance that prices could be above 16, right? Definitely. So, uh, yeah. yeah, one of the things that's very interesting when you look at corn versus soybeans though, it's true for corn to some extent that the July futures is, is higher than the, the, these futures, but it's not that big a drop off compared to soybeans. Yeah. And so there is quite a bit of risk of still holding on to last year's soybeans. I think that's the way I would kind of summarize this story. Yeah, good point. All right, uh, Michael, you've been tracking these input prices pretty carefully, and I know you've gotten lots of yes. questions about it. This is uh, from March 21 to March 22. The latest available information from USDA is March uh, 2022. Uh, as we get the new information from April in a couple weeks, I'll update this chart. Uh, and obviously, there's been a lot of volatility and it's basically a surge in farm input prices. Uh, you know, the, the PC deflator off to the far left there is 6.6%. You know, you look at that chart and say, well, that looks relatively low. That's very high inflation. It's just that some of these farm input prices have just skyrocketed. Uh, anhydrous, 145%, uh, potash, uh, 94%, uh, diesel, 76%. That diesel is actually going to go up. We've seen actually higher diesel prices recently, so that's actually going to go up. And even the supplies, machinery, buildings and materials, 14 to 23%, those are huge increases. And so this chart just does a nice job of illustrating uh, the large increases we've seen in, 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 in most uh, of the farm inputs. And, and, and in, the, in most cases, uh, farm input prices have increased more than the PDC. PC deflator. And that's not real surprising because some of farm inputs follow general inflation fairly closely. Things like fertilizer, seed, chemicals do not. They have their own market fundamentals. So Michael, whenever I see a big number on a percentage change chart like this, I think it's always useful to think about what that means. Yes. So if a percentage change in inflation or, or the price of an input like anhydrous, if it was 100, that means it had doubled. doubled. So at 144.5, yeah. it's gone up 1.5 yes. times yeah. relative to what it was yeah. last and year. And depending right? when you look at that year to year, you can find you can find uh, periods in that February March period was actually triple. Yeah. Uh, this chart is showing showing more than double. Yeah. Um, let's look at what, uh, what, what, uh, where inflation might be heading, and, and to do that, I'm looking at some, some Federal Reserve Board projections. I'll comment on what I think about these, but uh, uh, let's get to the numbers here. Uh, the, the, the last 12 months of uh, data available for the PCE price deflator, that's personal consumption expenditure price deflator, that's one common measure of inflation. Another one is the CPI. The CPI tends to run uh, higher than the PCE 
PC price deflator. And so if, if you've seen the CPI index in the news, it's been running eight and a half percent. So there are, are various measures of inflation, but this is the one that the Federal Reserve Board uh, talks about. Uh, the Federal Reserve Board is expecting inflation uh, to decline relatively rapidly uh, as we move into the end of uh, 2022, as we get into 23, 24 in the longer run. I think they're rather optimistic. Uh, and so I, I think inflation uh, could show some uh, more legs than what they're uh, showing here. And so we could see, we could see inflation in that uh, six to 7% uh, throughout most of 2022 into 2023. And so my main point here is there's a lot of uncertainty uh, related to where inflation is heading. That's gonna create uncertainty in the farm input price market all the way into 23. And I guess the other thing to think about, Michael, is if the Fed is right, what does that imply about a recession? To pull yes. to pull inflation back that hard, that quickly, would almost, in my opinion anyway, almost, almost, has to happen as a recession. almost guarantee a recession. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. Uh, I agree with you with respect to optimism. There. One of the reasons we're talking about this is inflation's a key uh, to both farmland, but also uh, farmland, because uh, uh, farmland is a hedge against inflation, but also interest rates, obviously. And so let's review where interest rates have been recently. Uh, looking at April 22 data, that's the latest, uh, latest data available. Uh, federal funds rate was only 0.33%. The 10-year treasury was 2.75%. Uh, the 10-year treasury is, is more uh, something that we compare to real estate rates, whereas the Fed fund rate and the prime rate is more to operating loan rate. Uh, the prime rate was 3.55%. Uh, in early May, uh, the Federal Reserve increased the Fed fund rate about 0.5% or half a, a half a percent. Uh, that gets us up to about 0.8, for the Fed fund rate. Uh, the 10-year Treasury increased to over 3% uh, in early May, and the prime rate went up to 4%. Uh, based on, uh, based on uh, what, what the... Uh, News from the Federal Reserve Board, uh, they're expecting the prime rate uh, or the Fed rate, uh, Fed funds rate to increase another percentage. Uh, that would add a percent to the prime rate, moving that towards 5% if that does happen. Uh, the, the question uh, that Jim asked me this morning, we actually added this to the slide, what does this mean for farm operating interest rates? Well, there's not a, there's not a, direct, uh, a direct link uh, between the prime rate and the operating interest rates, but they do tend to move together. And so if we saw a 1.5% increase in the operating interest rate uh, from April, uh, for example, we, we, we would be looking at operating interest rates uh, from 6 to 6.5%. That sounds really high, but that's about where we were pre-COVID. If you look at 2018, 2019, Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, uh, the interest rates were right around 5.756%. So we're going back to where we were pre-COVID. Uh, uh, again, the Federal Reserve Board does not look at uh, forecasting the prime rate, rather they look at the Fed funds rate. And so we can apply uh, what the increases in Fed funds rate, what that might be doing to other interest rates, because this is, an it, this is a fundamental interest rate uh, that, that people look at from a forecast standpoint. They're expecting that fund, Fed funds rate to go up to 1.9%. That'd be the 1.5% increase in 22. That's where I'm getting the uh, the, the six to six and a half percent operating uh, interest rate. And then they're expecting another percentage increase as we move into 23. Longer run, they're expecting that Fed, Fed funds rate to be 2.4%. And so if this all materializes, that means operating interest rate is not heading to 4% anytime soon. Uh, we're looking more at like 6%, 6.5% long run. 
So, Michael, thinking about your earlier comments about the Fed pulling back inflation being optimistic in terms of what they expect to do, let's assume you're right and they're wrong. What does that imply about farm operating interest rates? Uh, the farm operating interest rates, if, if, if the inflation is, is not as tight, we're probably looking at a little bit lower uh, operating interest rates because then you then uh, because usually uh, usually you're look, you're looking at the real interest rate you know, being positive obviously and so if there's not as much inflation pressure there's not as much pressure uh, for the operating interest rates to be high uh, and, and so if 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 the Fed uh, if the if the Fed's uh, forecasts are right we're probably looking more like the six percent or maybe slightly under if there's more inflation then we're looking at something six point five even higher. Uh, if, if, that, there's, if there's higher inflation. Yeah, I, I, that would be at the risk, yeah, right? If yeah. the Fed has more trouble slowing down the rate of inflation than what they're projecting, that means they're going to have to be more aggressive with respect to how they treat their balance sheet as well as what they do with the federal funds rate. Both of those things would point to even higher interest rates than what we've got on the chart so far, right? Yeah, and I, I just remember from the early 80s how hard it was to, to reduce the inflation. Obviously, we were dealing with higher inflation than we're talking about today. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, and so this may, all I'm saying is it may take a little longer than what the Fed was forecasting uh, to tame inflation. And so obviously a lot of uncertainty. I wanted to throw in a chart there, uh, you know, from a historical standpoint, what this increase in, in Fed rate means, you know, 1.9% in 22, 2.8% uh, in, in 23. Obviously that's much different environment than what we've seen since the spring of 2020, uh, right after COVID hit. They reduced that Fed funds rate to z almost zero. Uh, now we're moving into that environment where we're closer to 18, 19, but we're not going back to where we were in 2007, for example, uh, the, you know, we had the, the major, uh, major crisis in, in the U.S. economy in 2008. We're not going back to that 5%. We're going back to that environment uh, that we had in 2018, 2019. So, Michael, you've got this chart starting in 2007. And actually, if you put another couple of decades on, for example, yeah. in that chart, it would help it clarify, really, that the period from 2009 to about 16 or 17 or maybe even 18, that's the anomaly. Yes. That's the unusual part yes. of the chart. Yes. Uh, and, and really what they were trying to do there in 1819, they were, they were trying to, to change the policy that they had from 2009 to 2017, that anomaly, and, and they were stopped. Because of COVID, they couldn't they couldn't continue that policy, so they backed away from that. Uh, you know, uh, the economy tanked, and so they dropped that interest rate to close to zero. Uh, you know, to, to try to improve the improve the economy, and and so I think all they're doing is they're going back to, to increasing that Fed funds rate. Uh, you know, slowly but surely. Well, they did two things, right? One is they they pulled back on the federal funds rate. The other thing was they increased their balance sheet pretty substantially. Oh, yes. So there, yes. there's two yeah. things going on there that were loosening yeah. over that time frame, pumping a lot of cash into the economy. Now they're trying to back away from that. Yeah. And it's a tricky business to Very do that without business. having a recession hit. So, All right, let's take a closer look at net farm income because you've been tracking this pretty closely Yeah, as well. we don't need to belabor this slide. I've just updated this slide from, uh, from last month. And, and 22 uh, looks stronger than 21 now. Uh, and, and part of the reason why 21 uh, doesn't look better than 22 is, is remember, uh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm following a very simple marketing strategy for corn and soybeans here. Half of the corn and soybeans was sold uh, in late 21. 
Uh, and obviously we've had rather large increases in prices since the beginning of 22. And so, and so if those that sold most of their crop, uh, their 21 crop in 22, it would be even higher than that $349. And so that's part of the reason why uh, 22 looks better. But it's just, it's just unbelievable to me, I say this every month, but it's unbelievable to me that 22 looks that good uh, with our very large increases of break-even prices. And, and not only does it look good relative to 21, Go back in Historically, history. I mean, I, I think you'd have to go back to 73, 74 yeah. to see something that good. You know, you're $100 above where you were yeah. in 2011. Yeah. That, 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 those are big numbers, and right? That, and that long-run average at $140, that's not a bad long-run average. We've had a good run in production agriculture since 2007. That's economic profit. I don't have economic profit illustrated on this chart, uh, but those of you that loved Econ 101, remember economic profit is profit after we've accounted for all costs, cash and opportunity costs. We've had economic profit since 2007 on average. It's not huge, but it's been economic profit. That's a very unusual period. Yeah. And so I think that's worth restating. The other thing you've taken a look at, uh, which is always of interest, is the relationship between expected profitability for corn versus soybeans. Yeah, and I realize people aren't going to change their change what they plant uh, this time of year very easily unless there's all kinds of uh, planting issues. Uh, but it just it just illustrates uh, how much the market is telling us it wants corn. I mean, we're looking at a different we're looking at an advantage towards corn that we haven't seen uh, since 2011. And you, and you remember back 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, corn was the king for a while there. Uh, and, and, and we're back in that similar period where the market really wants, uh, wants U.S. producers and producers around the world to plant corn. Yeah, and obviously that's been triggered very heavily by what's taking place in the Black Sea region. Yeah, it just, it just made it, made it more so. I, it's probably added $100 to that 22 uh, chart. And that was, that was, it was, corn looked good uh, all spring. Uh, you know, particularly once we got to February or March, when we saw they started seeing those increases in, uh, in, in corn prices even before uh, the Ukraine conflict. But after the Ukraine conflict, uh, that just jumped all the way to this, you know, currently we're at that $200. And so it added, it added at least $100 per acre uh, advantage towards corn. And just to refresh our memories, I think the first time you did this chart was either in October or November. Yeah, and it was pretty much break even. Yeah, pretty much a, a, to a coin year, toss. It was, it was pretty much a coin toss, and it's, it's went from that to uh, you know huge, huge advantage, a, a huge profits for corn. Well, that wraps up our discussion for this month's Outlook. Our next Crop Outlook webinar will be on Monday, June 13th. I think USDA releases the WASD report on Friday, the 10th of June. So we'll have some new information for you then. And of course, there's going to be uh, lots of new information in between now and then with respect to what's taking place in, in planting and so forth. So details for that webinar will be available at our website, purdue.edu slash commercial ag. And of course, we'll also be doing some podcasts in between so you can tap into those as well. So with that, I want to thank my colleagues, Dr. Michael Langemeyer and Dr. Nathan Thompson. And on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter.